Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah. I created you. If not us, then Time for 
Now it's time for our reading in the New Testament. And our narrative today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. Let's take a look at what's going on here just before we begin the narrative. This trial that we'll be reading about by the High Council had two phases. A small group met at night, and then the full High Council met at daybreak. They tried Jesus for religious offenses, such as calling himself the Son of God, which, according to law, was blasphemy. Well, the trial, of course, was rigged. It was fixed. These religious leaders had already decided to kill Jesus. The Romans controlled Israel, but the Jews were given some authority over religious and minor civil disputes. The Jewish ruling body, the High Council, was made up of 71 of Israel's religious leaders. It was assumed that these men would be just. Instead, they showed great injustice in the trial of Jesus, even to the point of making up lies to use against him. The statement that the false witnesses finally agreed to use as an accusation twisted Jesus' actual words. Jesus did not say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. He said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus was not talking about Herod's temple, but about his own body. Now to the first question, Jesus made no reply because it was based on confusing and erroneous evidence. Not answering was wiser than trying to clarify the fabricated accusations. But if Jesus had refused to answer the second question, it could have been taken as a denial of his mission. Instead, his answer predicted a powerful role reversal. Sitting at God's right hand in the place of power, he would come to judge his accusers, and they would have to answer his questions. Well, Caiaphas' home where Jesus was tried, was part of a huge palace with several courtyards. John was apparently acquainted with the high priest and was led into the courtyard along with Peter. Now, it's easy to get angry at the high council and the Roman governor for their injustice in condemning Jesus. But Peter and the rest of the disciples also contributed to Jesus' pain by deserting him. Now, while most of us may not be like the Jewish and Roman leaders, we are like the disciples because all of us have been guilty of denying Christ as Lord in vital areas of our lives. We may pride ourselves that we have not committed certain sins, but let's face it and be honest here, we're all guilty of sin. So don't try to excuse yourself by pointing at others whose sins seem worse than yours. God does not grade on the curve. All right, enough of uh, the commentary. Let's read today now here in the New Testament. March 10th, the New Testament. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus, so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? 
But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them, because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I am lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 6. Echoing the message of Psalm 14, this psalm proclaims the foolishness of atheism. People may say there is no God in order to cover up their sin, to have an excuse to continue in sin, and or to ignore the judge in order to avoid the judgment. Fools, as the Bible refers to them, do not necessarily lack intelligence. No, many atheists and unbelievers are, in fact, highly educated, sophisticated people. Fools are people who reject God, the only one who can save them. That's pretty foolish. <laughs> well, God is not affected by what we think of Him. We are definitely and eternally affected by what God thinks of us. Now, this psalm begins with the bold claim that there is no God. But by this verse, the true reason for rejecting God has become clear. The reason people reject God has nothing at all to do with God's existence and everything to do with people's sinfulness. In our desire to do wrong, we often treat God as if He doesn't exist. When God passes judgment, it will be too late to apologize and admit we were wrong. Rejection of God will turn into terror of God. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 6. For the choir director, a meditation, a psalm of David. Only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread, and wouldn't think of praying to God. Terror will grip them, terror like they have never known before. 
God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4 Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death.
Today's devotional is out of Experiencing God. It's called Adjustments Are Necessary. This is Pastor Doug from Phase 2. Many of us want God to speak to us and give us an assignment. However, we are not interested in making major adjustments in our lives. Biblically, that position is impossible. Every time God spoke to people in the scripture about something he wanted to do through them, major adjustments were required. They had to adjust their lives to God. Once the adjustments were made, God accomplished his purposes through those he called. Adjusting your life to God is the second critical turning point in your knowing and doing the will of God. The first turning point is the crisis of belief. You must believe God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Without faith in God, you will make the wrong decision at the first turning point. Adjusting your life to God is another turning point. If you choose to make the major adjustment, you can move on to obedience. If you refuse to make the major adjustment, you will miss what God has in store for your life. Once you have come to believe God, you demonstrate your faith by what you do, your actions. Some, res- some response is required. This action is one of the major adjustments we will focus on today. Your obedience will also be part of the action required. Your adjustments and obedience will be costly to you and to those around you. That's worth repeating. Your your adjustments and your obedience will be costly to you and those around you. Adjustments to God. When God speaks to you to reveal what he is about to do, that revelation is your invitation to adjust your life to him. Your faith will be most clearly demonstrated by your actions. Actions you will take include the adjustments you must make to be in a position to obey the Lord. Once you've adjusted your life to the Lord, you act in obedience. Then God accomplishes through you what he has purposed to do. Adjustments prepare you for obedience. You cannot continue life as usual or stay where you are and go with God at the same time. The truth is demonstrated throughout Scripture. For instance, Noah could not continue life as usual and build an ark. Abraham, or Abram, could not stay in Ur or Haran and father a nation in Canaan. Moses could not stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and stand before Pharaoh. David had to leave his sheep to become king. Amos had to leave the sycamore trees to preach in Israel. Jonah had to leave his home and overcome a major prejudice in himself in order to preach in Nineveh. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their fishing business to follow Jesus. Matthew had to leave his tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. And Saul, later Paul, had to completely change directions in his life to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. These men had to make enormous adjustments. Some had to leave family and country. Others had to renounce prejudices and change their values. Others had to leave behind life goals, ideals, and desires. They had to yield everything to God and align their entire lives to him. The moment they made the necessary changes, God began to accomplish his purposes through them. Each one, however, learned that adjusting one's life to God is well worth the cost. You may be thinking, but God will not ask me to make major adjustments. 
Scripture shows that God most certainly requires adjustments of his people. He even required them of his own son. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Jesus emptied himself of position and wealth in heaven in order to join the Father in providing redemption through his death on the cross. That was a major adjustment. If you want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you have no choice. You must leave where you are to follow him. You must make major adjustments in your life to follow God. Until you are ready to make any change necessary to follow and obey what God has said, you will be of little use to God. Your greatest single difficulty in following God may come at this point of full surrender. We tend to want to skip making adjustments and go directly from believing God to obedience. If you want to follow him, you don't have that choice. His ways are so different from yours. The only way you can follow him requires an alignment of your life to his ways and complete surrender to him. Um, <clears throat> this is Dustin Grannon. Uh, today I am phasing up from phase two to phase three. Um, a lot of you guys know my story. Um, you know, I was a broken, homeless, uh, strung out junkie. Um, I was facing almost 28 years in prison, um, which God set me down by a form of incarceration. Um, I spent 21 months in prison uh, just developing a relationship with Christ. Um, while I was in, during my incarceration, I um, had an experience with the Lord that um, ultimately led to a revelation from a friend speaking life into me about coming to the refuge. Um, you know, I walked out of prison October 13th, and uh, six days later, I walked into the ministry. Um, the God we serve is a God of intention. He intentionally brought me to the ministry to serve him, to fully liberate me of uh, the bondage that has kind of dictated my life up until now. Um, you know, in phase two, is supposed to be the relational part of the ministry. My relationship with Christ has just uh, magnified since I've been here. Um, there were things that dictated me as a child and I've carried ever since to this, <clears throat> to this part of the ministry. God has freed me from this thing. I no longer carry shame, guilt, neglect, and doubt of anything that I once used to just loathe in. You know, I come to realize that <clears throat> I've had a heart problem. I'm not really, the addiction is just a result of wounds that I've suffered throughout my whole life. You know, today I can sit here and say that my relationship with Christ is sound. I'm excited for the future. For the first time in my life, I know who I am. I have a purpose in my life. And some of the relationships I got to build throughout this ministry, you know, Pete Roach, Brian Kilgus, <clears throat> You two are probably my best friends in this ministry. I've latched the hold of you two and poured into you. Um, you know, I just give God all the honor and praise for who I am and where I sat today. Now, I've been in uh, some nasty situations in my life, but sitting here right now and just being thankful for 
my family restoration that I've experienced, you know, my family telling me that they're proud of me and they're excited for where I'm going in my life. God deserves all the glory in that, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm just thankful for where he's got me in my life, and I'm thankful for the brothers that are around me that he's put in my life. And sometimes i got to remember that God puts the people that I need in my life, not the people I want. And all the glory and honor goes to my Lord and Savior. Thank you, guys. This is Nick Miller, Phase 2. <clears throat> I want to give affirmation out to uh, Granin. Uh, let you know, man, I still think about you all the time, brother. You've helped me out a lot while we were down on the farm. I was able to talk to you, connect to you. Um, and I know you're you're about that business, man. So I'm looking forward to seeing you, spending more time with you. I love you, brother. Um, anybody else that was down there on the farm to serve while I was there, I don't think I didn't connect to anybody down there at one point in time. So everybody down there serving and everybody throughout the ministry that helps their brother and serve for him. You are recognized. It's it's a thing as a whole. I, I recognize the whole brotherhood in the refuge as as what it is, and that's just pure love, man. So shout out to everybody. In my weakest moment, I see you. Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from here Cause grace could never reach that far
For the blind man and the beggar, grace wins. For always and forever, grace wins. For the lost out on the street, grace wins. For the worst part of you and me, grace wins. For the thief on the cross. concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.